Hello everybody uh, and Kia ora. In today's session, we will be talking about New South Wales transition to smart onboard mass uh, for performance-based standards mass monitoring. We have more than 200 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Crossroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with John Gordon. John is the Manager of Strategic Development at Transport uh, Certification Australia, and he will moderate the Q&A at the end of the webinar. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Australia is based in Sydney and so today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A bit about Austroads and TCA. Austroads is the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. TCA is a national organization that enables improved public purpose outcomes from road transport by providing assurance services related to transport technologies, including administration of the national telematics framework. Australia and TCA are both uh, governed by the same Australia board. Bit of housekeeping, our presenters will speak uh, for about 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session uh, for about 15 minutes. The slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon um, on that sidebar. Um, also, let us know if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely um, with your internet connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session using your registration link usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will uh, let you know when the recording is published on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can find shows in your podcast step. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, um, Gavin Hill and Brad Graham. Gavin is the General Manager of Strategy and Delivery at Transport Certification Australia, and Brad is the Senior Manager for Road Asset at Transport for New South Wales. For the Q&A, we will be joined by Ruben John, who is the Project Delivery Lead uh, for Freight at Transport for New South Wales. So welcome to our presenters and over to you, Gavin. Thanks, Ekaterina, and thanks everyone for joining us this afternoon. Um, um, what I'm going to do uh, to kickstart this webinar is, is to give you a bit of a, a backstory in terms of what we mean by telematics um, and, and to expand upon the introductory words from Ekaterina around TCA's role and in particular the National Telematics Framework. Um, so in the year 2023, um, telematics is widely used across um, the majority of, of commercial and heavy vehicles across the road network. And um, these, these vehicles are generating enormous amounts of data every single day. And, and that, those data can uh, influence um, our understanding of, of how roads are being used, 
as well as uh, the compliance with various regulatory requirements. However, um, not all this data is available. So what we're generating as a community, as a society, um, enormous amounts of data, it's not often available to the people who, who need it. And this is where the National Telematics Framework comes in. So why do people put telematics in their, their vehicles to begin with? Well, typically it's to do with wanting to better manage their vehicles. Maybe it's around driver safety and welfare. Um, it can also be about optimising the use of their fleets. And the data that's generated from those commercial decisions and business decisions are put to good use by those businesses. However, um, from a road manager's point of view, from the point of view of transport for New South Wales and in New South Wales, they don't get access to that data. And so the National Telematics Framework enables us to harness the power of, of big data that's generated from commercial and, and heavy vehicles. And just by, um, just, just to go back a few steps there, when we talk about telematics, we're really just talking about the combined use of physical hardware, telecommunications, computing, and data. You know, it's, it, these are systems that generate data uh, from a vehicle. And data can mean a whole range of different things, but at the most fundamental level, we're talking about location-based data. So when we talk about the National Telematics Framework, we're talking about a structured operating framework that brings technology providers, transport operators and authorities together. And I'll spend the next few moments just explaining what this means, because it's important to understand how the four pieces come together to deliver a synergy that wouldn't otherwise exist. So if we start with TCA's role, TCA is owned uh, by Australia's road agencies. We're part of Austroads. And our role is to, um, to do two key things. One is to bring authorities, transport operators and technology providers together. And the other reason we exist is to ensure that there's nationally consistent outcomes. So it means, for example, that if Transport for New South Wales set a telematics condition, for a particular kind of heavy vehicle, then that telematics condition or the kind of technology that's being used is the same as it is in other jurisdictions. And we don't have a situation where um, individual jurisdictions are essentially creating their own standards um, or creating different rail gauges in the world of telematics. And that has enormous benefits for the transport industry because they can benefit from having one kind of technology that satisfies requirements across the country, no matter where they travel. When we go to the left-hand uh, quadrant um, at the top there, um, when we use the term authorities, we're talking about um, road managers and regulators, but um, other government bodies as well, like Transport for New South Wales, who you'll hear from um, in, a little, uh, in a little while, they will make policy decisions that leverage the use of telematics and other technologies to deliver some kind of public outcome. 
you'll hear from Transport for New South Wales around their use of the telematics monitoring application and smart onboard mass, for example, and how that's enabling Transport for New South Wales to improve access and improve productivity for heavy vehicles on their road networks in New South Wales. And as we go to the two bottom quadrants, we're talking about telematics providers or technology providers on the left. In the world of the national telematics framework, we refer to them as application service providers. And the term application is important because we, we do run different applications within the framework. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And we have transport operators who purchase technologies from those application service providers who are recognised through our framework. Now, this is a bit of a dance, if you like, between these different parties. At the most fundamental level, the authorities create demand for the use of telematics by using telematics as a condition for access to the road network. And because the authorities create demand, the technology sector and application service providers respond to that demand by creating supply, by coming into the framework and uh, providing services and technology and hardware, um, which transport operators can then use. So this is really, you know, I'm talking at a conceptual level for the benefit of this webinar, but these structured interactions are nationally agreed upon and they give life to a standardised, harmonised working arrangement between these different entities. And without that, um, you can only imagine how difficult it might be to navigate the world of digital technology and data in the absence of the framework. So we'll, um, we'll continue on. For those who want to uh, learn a bit more about the framework, by all means, visit our website. There's some fabulous reading material there. Um, I'm sure it'll put some of you to sleep. But if you want to know what's under the hood and understand what the National Telematics Framework is actually comprised of and the components within it, do take a look. Um, there's some fundamental ingredients that go into it, including things like standardised reporting arrangements um, and standardised mechanisms to transfer data. So, for instance, if you go to the Telematics Data Dictionary, you'll see that We've standardised across the country under the direction of transport ministers an agreed way for digital technologies to talk. And it's important that we all you know, adopt a common language so that we can understand each other, whether it's through spoken form or through digital technologies like this. But check it out if you're interested. And if you want to know more, reach out to us. We're only happy to talk through some of the finer detail. Now, one of the other core concepts of the framework is um, there is consumer choice. And this is ingrained in everything we do through the National Telematics Framework. Our requirements that we place on the technology sector are driven by performance outcomes. And for those who are familiar with performance-based standards vehicles and the PBS uh, performance requirements, um, we apply this, a similar line of thinking to what we do in the National Telematics Framework. 
So when I was talking about application service providers and technology providers a few moments ago, um, they all meet our functional and technical requirements in different ways. And that's a good thing because we see constant innovation, we see new players coming into the market, um, and we see innovation. And these are all signs of a healthy competitive market and it means that transport operators benefit from that competition, whether it's through price competition or innovation in product. These are good things to have. And, and we also have some protections and safeguards built into the framework and a really strong emphasis on privacy and data protection and cyber security. We are in the world of um, uh, big data and with it, comes constant threats through the misuse or, um, or corruption of data. So we place a lot of emphasis on managing privacy, ensuring there's clear consent arrangements in place for the collection of data from the outset, and also to ensure that data can't be misused. And this is really important because if you're a transport operator and you've um, entered into a, a consent arrangement, that tells you that the data that's being collected can only be used for this purpose, then you want to have absolute confidence that um, TCA is managing that obligation on your behalf. And that's something we take very seriously. But what that enables is it unlocks standardised data collection and reporting for a whole range of purposes based on the consent that's been given. Uh, at the beginning of uh, the process where a vehicle becomes first enrolled into the National Telematics Framework. And I'll go, I'll go into that a little bit more and I, and I think Brett will talk about that further as well in terms of how they're using data to increase productivity on their road network. So, it's also worth pointing out um, that Australia does lead the world in this space and Australians can be a little bit too modest uh, from time to time. Um, we, we do have a great history of inventing things and in this space we're no different. Um, so if you're <clears throat> after more reading material, look up ISO 15638, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's a framework for cooperative telematics applications for regulated commercial freight vehicles. That's quite a mouthful, um, but you'll see how um, the, the foundations of the National Telematics Framework has been how that's been adopted into an international standard and is referenced by other regions globally. So um, a pat on the back to, to Australia and, uh, and, and their ingenuity in bringing innovative uh, concepts like our framework to life. <clears throat> so, um, I mentioned what TCA's role was uh, in terms of um, our, our core uh, operating parameters. We also certify technology providers. Um, this is a really core concept. When we say certification, we're talking about um, the recognition of technology providers who are then independently assessed by TCA so that we can put a badge on them to the world that says that they meet um, our performance-based requirements. Those performance-based requirements, it's important to point out, aren't dreamed up by TCA, but they're a reflection of what Australia's road agencies and regulators are looking for from technology providers. 
So if you see a tech provider with a TCA logo, it might be a certified tick or it might be a type approved tick. If you're talking about uh, devices and hardware, it means by default um, that they've been through a fairly rigorous process and that um, uh, the services and the products that they provide are of, of appropriate standing. We also offer data-driven services through the Telematics Analytics platform. And when I was talking about how TCA's role enables the collection of data, um, that presents itself as an end product in the form of maps, insights and analysis. And, and road agencies are looking for anonymized, aggregated data to tell them about the interactions of their of vehicles on their road network. And that typically involves heat maps and the like, which provides insights into uh, the, the volume of vehicle movements across parts of the road network, um, travel across structures of interest. And it also helps uh, the likes of Brett Graham and his colleagues to better forecast and plan for maintenance and capital investments on the road network, support further productivity improvements over time. Um, authorities are important in the sense that they, like Transport for New South Wales, they determine what application is best suited for the intended use of telematics. I'm going to get to that in a moment, um, but they weigh up different pros and cons when they're talking about different telematics applications. I'll hold that thought for the moment and we'll go to the next one. Thanks, Ekaharina. Uh, we'll keep going. So, when we talk about applications, you may be familiar with some of these acronyms that are on this slide. Um, and specifically, um, you've probably heard most about the Intelligent Access Program. Now, that's been around for some time, and it was the first regulatory use of telematics um, that was introduced in this country. We now have other variants of telematics that are managed through the National Telematics Framework, and they're known as the Road Infrastructure Management Application, or RIM, and the Telematics Monitoring Application, or TMA for short. Now, when I was talking earlier about um, the decisions that authorities make around um, which application to use, they will take into account what they're trying to do with that telematics application or what they're trying to do with the use of telematics um, um, in its purest form. So those who are familiar with the IAP will recognise it as a, uh, a regulatory compliance focused use of telematics that can be used for direct enforcement. Um, and what it essentially does is provide non-compliance reports or exception-based reports for when a vehicle is detected being um, or being operated outside of its conditions of access. And those reports can then be used by regulators for direct enforcement. The introduction of RIM and TMA has, has expanded the toolkit that's available to road agencies and regulators because it provides other ways to use telematics that aren't strictly bounded by compliance enforcement activities. 
So if you start from the left-hand side, you'll see that road infrastructure management is really the lightest touch use of telematics. And if you see a any road access condition that relates to the use of RIM, you'll see that it's primarily around the collection of data for road use planning purposes. It doesn't even collect identifiable vehicle data. And, and why is that? Well, the likes of Transport for New South Wales and other regulators might just want RIM information, which is aggregated, de-identified information, just to understand the volume of vehicle movements across a particular section of road or a network of roads. So if you move then to the right with the telematics monitoring application, it then reintroduces the concept of identifiable vehicle data, but it's not evidentiary quality data that can be used for direct enforcement in the same way that IAP data can. And that means TMA is a bit more flexible, it's more cost effective, and it's less rigid than the IAP. And these pros and cons, um, or these features of different applications, um, are given consideration by road agencies and regulators when they're making policy decisions. And what you're going to hear from Transport for New South Wales is how they've introduced a move towards the TMA application um, and smart onboard mass as a way to manage productivity, while also ensuring that there's ways to identify vehicles if they need to, if they have concerns about particular um, areas of activity where vehicles are running. Um, but the primary focus is to collect data which can then be mapped across the network and to inform their functions as a road manager. And that's primarily around road use, road use planning and investment. So we've talked a bit about those three applications. Now I'm going to talk about um, smart onboard mass. And um, I'll spend the next few moments just explaining what we mean by smart onboard mass. And to do that, it's worth going back to what do we even mean by onboard mass. In its simplest form, onboard mass is any technology that can derive a mass measurement from an axle group on a heavy vehicle. For those in the transport sector and, and elsewhere, you'll be familiar with onboard weighing systems. They've been around for eons. Um, for those who are less familiar with onboard weighing systems, they're just like fancy bathroom scales that enable the measurement of axle groups and then if you add all the axle groups together, you can get the gross combination mass as well. And I'm not meaning to offend anyone by saying they're just fancy bathroom scales, but it's essentially what they do. Um, they provide a way for road, um, uh, road transport operators to measure their loads and to manage compliance. And that's why they've been around for so long. They actually are a useful um, piece of technology that allow transport operators to do their job better. So when we talk about smart onboard mass, um, we're talking about the same kind of technology, but in a digital format. And um, the word smart in 
in the context of smart OBM relates to the collection of the, the axle masses and the transfer of that data digitally to the, uh, to, through, through to the national telematics framework. So traditional scales might have given you a, a visual readout of the, uh, of the mass. Smart OBM takes it to the next step by saying um, there's, there's still a visual readout for the driver and loaders of the vehicle, um, but enables the data to be captured and then linked to other telematics data, such as vehicle location and the like. Now, smart OBM systems are all type approved by TCA, and we have a set of functional and technical specifications for um, the performance requirements of, um, of those systems. Now, onboard weighing systems, by the way, can be referred to as onboard scales, onboard weighing, air pressure sensors, and more recently, even electronic braking systems um, can be used as onboard weighing technologies. Consistent with our performance-based approach, um, we're not prescriptive around the technology that's used, so long as the provider of the technology can measure the axle mass of vehicles accurately and consistently in accordance with our performance requirements. And as I was mentioning earlier, there's different ways that that can be done, and we're seeing lots of innovation and technological developments um, in this space, which is actually quite exciting. Um, right now, we have a very competitive marketplace of technology providers who are type approved for smart OBM. And uh, smart OBM is an important concept because it gives road agencies like Transport for New South Wales the confidence to open up parts of their network that they wouldn't otherwise have contemplated. And they can do that based on the confidence and the assurance um, that comes from the type approval process that each of these suppliers have gone through and the certification of application service providers who combine the, the mass data that comes from the smart OBM systems on the trailers with the um, uh, vehicle location data that comes from a certified application service provider. And so this provides a really rich tapestry for which road managers around, around the country can, can um, use this information to better inform access decisions for heavy vehicles. And in the future, um, challenge preconceived notions around some of the restrictions that might otherwise be applied to the introduction of high productivity freight vehicles and other restricted active vehicles. This last slide provides a snapshot, um, the last slide for me that is, provides a snapshot of how we've um, delivered a standardised approach to TMA and smart OBM rollout um, across the eastern seaboard and with Tasmania as well. And as I was mentioning earlier, this approach to national consistency is, is a hallmark of the national telematics framework. And that means that every jurisdiction, when they introduce a policy or a road access condition that involves the use of telematics or smart OBM, they're all talking about the same technologies and they're all pointing to the same approval processes that are administered by TCA. 
So when you hear Brett talk about what he's doing in New South Wales in a moment, um, you can you can by default assume and recognise that the technologies that he's talking about are the same technologies that Queensland, Victoria and Tasmania are talking about as well. Um, I'll, I'll finish up by saying watch this space for developments in other jurisdictions and, and hopefully we can come back and do another webinar in the near future around other developments um, that are being progressed elsewhere in the country. But with that, I'll, I'll now hand over to Brett Graham and um, see you during the Q&As. Thanks. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, appreciate being here and we're very pleased to take part in this webinar. I thought I'd um, start off my very short session uh, with our mission, with Freight Branch's mission. And that is to give freight a louder voice earlier by raising the profile of freight as a fundamental customer of the transport system to enable the safe, sustainable and productive movement of goods. We work in partnership across government and with industry to deliver improved freight outcomes for the people of New South Wales. It's important to remember that freight is not just supporting industry. It is supporting an industry that is providing a service that is critical to all our lives. That is our businesses, our producers, manufacturers, schools, hospitals, households. Each member of the community relies on freight being transported. Heavy vehicle, rail and port access is only one important part of our impact on freight. By maximising the network and capitalising on the benefits of modern vehicles, leveraging technology, as Gavin has spoken about, and data to optimise existing assets and better understand our networks, we can help create efficient, resilient supply chains that create successful places and a thriving economy for the people of New South Wales. Safety, sustainability and productivity are not mutually exclusive goals when it comes to enabling the movement of freight in New South Wales. Our mission is to achieve all three in all that we do. Next slide. So there might be a little bit of a delay. So in New South Wales, we'll use OBM as a condition of access on structures imposed by our bridge assessment teams. So both internal and external and at known high risk corridor locations. Transport for New South Wales considers smart OBM as a condition of access where it is possible to expand or improve access using OBM as an access assurance tool. And Gavin touched on that. We're moving from assumptions and this, these tools allow us to move to the assurance piece. Now currently, OBM is applied as a condition of access on PBS vehicles operating above 68 and a half tonne southbound descending Mount Oosley. Previously, we'd never been able to approve anything exceeding 68 and a half tonne, which is the HMLB double. Exceeding um, southbound over Hexham Bridge, again, another structure that had been declined many times until we started to have this newer technology and the assurance to know what vehicles are being loaded at. Uh, on the M1 over the Hunter River, and we're also trialling Warringah Road eastbound for truck and dog combinations exceeding 50 and a half tonnes. So that had been a long time uh, no go zone area for us. Uh, these conditions are shown on our National Class 2 Performance Based Standards High Productivity Authorisation Notice Network maps and on a case-by-case -case basis on our permits. Now our third party stakeholders who play an integral part of the access on our road network may also apply OBM on many of their structures as a condition of access, again as the assurance tool. Uh, without this technology, honestly, most of these access decisions would be declined. 
Um, other examples where Transport for New South Wales used OBN to expand network access, and that has been used particularly with liquid products. Uh, we've been able to, pro to provide access with assurance on OBM in certain directions, as an example, knowing the load at the time. So many years ago, OBM first came out, operators would just ask for a, a, uh, a one mass across an entire network. We, our engineers would come back and say, no, we can't do that. And then when we took the time to talk to the operators, understand the freight task, and realise that they were either loading or unloading in certain directions, and were able to understand the mass at that time, with the assurance of onboard mass technology, we were able to approve access and increase productivity and allow those vehicles to operate on the network knowing that they're doing in a, in a allowing our engineers the assurance that they're at the right weight at the right time. Uh, next slide, please. So the benefits. With OBM, operators have the opportunity to access parts of the network that would not otherwise have been approved as suitable for their vehicle. So that's a key aspect. We had a lot of declines on bridges until this technology came on. Due to the additional assurance, OBM provides our engineers. So the approach ensures greater productivity by reducing heavy vehicle truck trips for the growing freight task in a safe and sustainable way. So Although it increases uh, gross mass, it doesn't increase an axle mass. And our engineers were starting to understand that when they were seeing the assurance that, that this data provides, that again, we were able to expand network access. And that was really matching the vehicle to the design. So OBM is a way where we can achieve a level of matching the vehicle's design with infrastructure. We've seen this with PBS, with vehicles where the overall extreme axle spacing and intermediate in dimensions result in, in loading on some structures. Whilst in certain circumstances we can't provide operators with their maximum mass, we are able to achieve a considerably higher mass than what would have been the case without OBM. So often they'll ask for HML mass, tier three or even CML tier three, and it will reduce to GML. Now, with this technology, we can often get CML and sometimes in between CML and HML. So we recognise the potential cost impact with this approach where it has been essential, infrastructure dictates, to apply OBM as a condition of access. However, without this tech, and certainly it provides access, will most likely be declined. So it's increasing access. Next slide, please. So Gavin spent, uh, mentioned this a couple of times about data and about the assurance. Um, where our business had made assumptions because that was what we could go on or precedence, whereas now we have the assurance and we have we can make better informed decisions. So the strong and efficient network is underpinned by new technology, uh, real-time network visibility, data-driven decision-making. Data has been um, a long time, tangible data has been a long time coming. We, we often get the question, where do these vehicles operate and at what mass? And if they're operating under notice, we could very rarely tell that. This is now allowing that visibility, and as Gavin touched on, allowing us to expand our networks for that sustainable and safe productivity benefit with the higher productivity vehicles. Um, targeted on infrastructure options. So in the past, we, we would decline access, and now we can approve it because we've got the assurance that there's one vehicle on the bridge at a time, or they're at the mass they're stating they're gonna stay at. So it's helping us understand the freight task. And a clear understanding of the future network end-to-end -end journeys, critical. So using technology to support smarter infrastructure upgrades and access, it allows us to do that, it allows us to prioritise. Again, use that word assumption. We think there's a lot of vehicles using certain corridors and then with the telematics data and now with OBM, we understand 
what's actually going on the network, even what direction they're going on the network, which helps us in those investment decisions and those prioritisation of network upgrades or, or changes, uh, and improve visibility across the network. The OBM provides our infrastructure managers with greater insight and assurance that the assets are performing satisfactorily, and as a result, they are able to factor this into their calculation and investment decisions long term. So it's not only the network, it's also our infrastructure that's uh, being able to improve access with this technology. Now, Transport for New South Wales is very keen to work with industry service providers and TCA to establish a cost-effective way to provide data we need to make those smarter infrastructure and investment decisions. And we're keen to reduce the burden on industry. We are looking at ways in utilising existing technology as well that Gavin also touched on. Now, the what next? Um, which I think is my last slide. I'd just like to introduce uh, Reuben John. Um, for many of you that have been around for a while, you'd know Reuben John, who's worked on the OBM space in transport for New South Wales for many years, both OBM, interim OBM, and now smart OBM, and he's been an integral part of that process. So I thought I'd invite Reuben just to take us through the last slide. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, yes, thanks for joining today's uh, webinar on, uh, on what New South Wales is doing. And um, yes, um, I know many of you um, online would be operating with OBM in New South Wales, and OBM has been very successful for uh, promoting PBS access here in New South Wales over the last uh, five to 10 years. So um, what's happening at the moment is that we are transitioning from interim OBM to smart OBM systems. So this is in line with what has happened with uh, developments in interim OBM. Um, we are now shifting towards smart OBM and we have a transition period underway at the moment. So what that means is that at the moment we are accepting interim OBM um, enrolments and interim OBM systems on uh, vehicles that are required to have onboard mass, but come 1 June 2024, uh, all onboard mass systems um, fitted to heavy vehicles will need to meet the smart OBM requirements. And um, for those of you who need that information, that is available on the TCA uh, web, web, web page. Um, so I know there would be operators out there who are who would potentially still have interim OBM systems fitted to their vehicles. So I, just to reiterate my previous mention uh, note is that at the moment it's okay, but from 1 June 2024, um, those systems will need to be upgraded. Um, and you probably would have seen um, there have been updates to our uh, permit conditions as well on um, that have been reflected across PBS permits for vehicles that require onboard mass. So, and then the other thing to mention is that from 1 June 2024, um, the smart OBM operators must also be enrolled in a relevant TMA mass monitoring scheme. So um, essentially the TMA mass monitoring is based on your PBS level of performance and access class. And uh, we, we can have some more, we can provide some further information about that later on, but it's important to ensure that the vehicle is enrolled in the relevant TMA mass monitoring scheme. Um, we are shifting away from IAP and towards TMA um, for, for smart onboard mass. Um, so that's something to remember and uh, just to make sure that your records are up to date and that the vehicles are enrolled in the relevant scheme. And it's important to ensure it's, it's also enrolled in New South Wales. Uh, I know many vehicles operate across, uh, um, uh, across borders. So just make sure that it is enrolled in TMA in New South Wales, if operating in New South Wales as well. Um, so, and the other message is that, yes, we, we are now ready to accept smart onboard mass uh, enrollment. So um, 
please um, do send them through. And um, we look forward to promoting um, more access for PBS vehicles in New South Wales. And um, we look forward to, um, to furthering PBS access and also expanding access here in New South Wales. So thank you, thank you um, for your attention today. And um, yes, um, we'll now move on to, I'll now reintroduce John Gordon. And uh, John will now take us um, on to questions. Hello all. Um, thank you all very much for listening. Um, we have a little question pane, which you should be able to see on your little screen in the little box there. If you've got any questions, please feel free to pop them in there. We don't have any in there at the moment, so I'm actually going to ask a few that I'm really curious about here. Um, so I'm not quite sure whether this is uh, one primarily for you, Ruben or, or Brett, but can you perhaps, um, uh, I mean, I know a number of the other jurisdictions are also implementing smart on board mass at the same time. So what does it mean as we move to a, a single approach to this? How, how will we be harmonising the use of smart on board mass across states? We'll be doing that through the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator and also with the jurisdictions and yourselves is we'll be sharing our our concepts and our approach with those jurisdictions and encouraging them to, um, I mean, we can't make them adopt ours, but we can make sure that the borders don't exist. We want to transition and have that harmonisation between those borders with this technology. Thanks very much for that, Brett. That's great. And um, still, just uh, I know we've we've got a few questions coming through, but um, just perhaps this one's a bit more for Gavin. Um, if I'm a transport operator and I've got an intramobium system in my vehicle, um, what do I do? Do I who do I talk to? Do I go and have a chat with my service provider? What's the what's the best approach? You're on mute. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, first thing I do, John, is um, speak to your existing supplier of your onboard mass system and um, um, see whether they are type approved to offer smart OBM. If they are, one of two things might happen. You might be able to upgrade your existing OBM system um, or you might need to replace um, the system with a new one, depending on how old the, the system is. But the best thing to do is speak with your, your current um, OBM supplier. Um, if if you've got further questions or you want to check out um, what's what's being told to you by the suppliers, speak to us or visit our website. Our website, TCA's website, is a source of truth. Um, just simply type in Smart OBM into Google and it'll take you straight to our website and that is your source of truth. Um, but in saying that, if you want to speak to someone, give us a give us a bell. We're only too uh, too happy to speak with anyone with with questions about technology and their investment in technology to meet new requirements. Thank you very much for that, Gavin. Um, now, there's a question here around how many different schemes are we accepting enrolments for in New South Wales? And this is a really interesting question because not all schemes are associated with smart onboard mass. And there are schemes which are tailored through different applications for different purposes here. Um, this is probably a little bit of a two-parter, so I'm not sure. Gavin, do you maybe want to explain a little bit about how the schemes work to address uh, work and link it up through uh, applications? And then maybe Brett can talk a little bit about some of the different policy settings in New South Wales that 
different schemes might be targeted out like uh, farm gate and other sorts of things. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so if I can answer that question, John, by going back to um, my reference earlier to the use of applications, an application basically uh, determines what information is collected through telematics, through the National Telematics Framework. A scheme um, is the reason why uh, data is being collected. So the application determines what kind of data, the scheme determines why the data is being collected. And so with that in mind, different schemes will refer to different applications. So a higher risk scheme, a really high risk vehicle operating on vulnerable structure, um, might see a particular scheme pointing to the intelligent access program, whereas a lower risk um, a scheme might point to the telematics monitoring application. And this concept of risk is really important. I'm not going to steal uh, Brett's thunder or, or Ruben's thunder in answering this question, but some schemes might add additional features like smart OBM for some justified reason. And that'll typically be around risk and it'll be around productivity opportunities which um, avail themselves through the use of smart OBM. So not every scheme um, uses the same application and not every scheme will use smart OBM. But in order to take advantage of some of the productivity opportunities that Brett spoke about a short time ago, um, Transport for New South Wales might consider it um, an opportunity to um, open up access frontiers that weren't available in the past if it means that smart OBM is the difference between getting a yes or a no answer to um, accessing parts of the road network. I might hand over to Brett at this point to um, elaborate further. Yeah, thanks Gavin. That's um, some very valid points there and I, I think I just, I just wrote down um, something there. It, it's the benefit of data. So for us, again, going back a few years, we couldn't make these decisions because one, we didn't have the technology and secondly, we didn't have the data. So this data and these schemes gives us the visibility about what's happening on the network. So it's a bit chicken egg, I suppose. If we, less schemes, less data, the more schemes, the more data. And then the more data we have is we can address any risks and we can improve productivity. So. We are going through a process now of reviewing um, the schemes that we have and because they, they were sort of created a long time ago and um, the, the role of the freight task has changed considerably. And I think this is a bit of a segue to, to, re, to I suppose, reset that and to take advantage or to use effectively the technology that we have now in the way that you just mentioned. Thank you very much for that, Brett. Um, we might move along because we're getting quite a few questions coming in. Um, there's a question about whether HML vehicles will be moved over to Smart Onboard Mass. Now, this is an interesting one because as I understand it, within um, New South Wales, uh, Smart Onboard Mass will actually be a requirement only of vehicles that are operating under the PMA PBS with Mass scheme. So it's basically vehicles that are kind of PBS vehicles and that are also crossing some other threshold, like they're across a bridge and they're over a certain mass. So there's a kind of combination of factors. Is that the case? You answer Ruben on myself. <laughs> I think you can add to this. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so 
in New South Wales, we don't have a a firm approach on when to apply um, this technology. It is really, as I mentioned in my short presentation, it will be on vulnerable structures that are identified by our bridge engineers, both, and as I said, third-party bridge engineers as well, or high-risk corridors. And again, if we didn't have this technology, quite simply, five or six years ago, access would have been declined. So this, to, will it go to HML? Um, in Generally not, but it will go to a, a vehicle and a mass on that vehicle depending on where it wants to go. So we're going on areas of the network now that we would never have considered previously. So it won't be a general rule, it'll go on HML vehicles, but we would look at it in that aspect on a case-by-case -case basis on where it's travelling on our network. No, that's brilliant, Brett. So just to confirm, it's not it's not for all HML vehicles at all. It's only for those that cross certain risk thresholds that you need to see monitored. Um, so HML vehicles aren't actually required to have, vehicles operating under an HML scheme aren't necessarily required to have smart onboard mass. No, generally not. But like I said, in, in previous years, we would have declined a HML vehicle on a certain corridor over certain bridges. But now with the assurance tool, we may be able to provide access but then they would be required to have smart onboard mass on that particular route. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to some of our other questions. Um, is there a link to confirm which PBS combinations will require smart onboard mass by June 2024? Um, I think we can probably help you with that. In uh, Again, as Gavin said on our website, there is actually, if you look up smart onboard mass, there is actually a, a New South Wales PBS um, scheme, what we call scheme group document, and that will detail um, the parameters for each of the schemes, for example, and that will include a list of the, the requirements that would normally be included. Um, we do just have to come back to Brett's points though, that this is, it's not a blanket rule. Um, certain combinations may require a smart onboard mass depending on the location or whether they're crossing vulnerable assets and the like. Um, uh, yeah, also another request. Add, yeah, sorry, John. Yeah, if I can just add, add one point. So I guess um, for um, for those online, yeah, so as part of any access application, we will consider whether we can provide the mass that's being requested. So as part of this, the, the tools that we use to assess the suitability of an access request, um, onboard mass management is one of those options. So if, if somebody requests, for example, 85 times HTML across a structure, we will assess whether we can give that access with, with onboard mass. Obviously, it's up to um, the operator's choice whether or not they wish to pursue that, uh, that outcome, but definitely it's part of the tools that we will use to assess whether we can give that access. So I guess um, in that way, we're open and we're flexible to, cons to applying onboard mass and we don't apply it, um, we, we don't apply it blanketly um, across all, um, vehicles or masses or even infrastructure we only have a few um, areas of um, of interest I'd say where where we apply uh, onboard mass over a particular mass as a blanket condition for PBS vehicles oh, that's great okay so we've got another couple of we've got a couple of inquiries around um, potential to expand the use of smart onboard mass to other areas which really is policy question a little bit, Brett, and we're not going to ask you to use a crystal ball too much or make announcements here, but there's a couple of questions around whether there's a possibility that um, there may be a move from IAP to TMA for SPVs, for cranes. Um, 
in alignment with some of the uh, Victoria and South Australia side of things. I might might pop that question out there and then we'll move on to some of the related ones. But. Uh, well, yes, we it would be something that we would consider if I go back to the, the mission right at the very beginning about safe, sustainable and productive. So any of the technology that's out there, we would be silly if we didn't consider it and want to embrace it to improve our productivity and safe operation of a heavy vehicle fleet, which includes cranes or restricted access vehicles, I suppose that would cover them all in, in on our New South Wales roads. So it's certainly something that we would, we would um, take into consideration. Now we've had a similar question, which I think you've probably covered off already as, as to whether OBM requirement might be used for common vehicle combinations or only PBS, but I, I think you've already answered that, but it depends on the combination of different factors that are involved and the risk profile of that. Yeah, yeah and I think, um, well, both Ruben and I have been 10 years in this space, 11 years, and over that short period of time, when you think of it, um, there's been significant change probably in the last three or four years. So as we understand smart onboard mass, see the benefits of it, some of the challenges, lessons learned, I think where there's opportunities to use it in other areas, we'll certainly take that into consideration for the benefit, again, of that safe, sustainable and productive network. Oh, that's great, thank you. Um, there's a question which is directly related to this. So, um, you know, with all the data that's been captured and being used to uh, support improved access, um, that, that allowed access will also increase productivity for industry as well. Um, the question relates to the ongoing costs to businesses and the extent to which there may be any assistance with that sort of thing. Um, I suppose, do you have any comments on, on that in general? Uh, it's, it's difficult to, as we mentioned in our presentation, we, we understand there is a, a cost with this. Uh, by the same token that if we didn't have this technology, then we wouldn't have the access that we have now. Um, so appreciate that. But taking that into consideration, as I mentioned, we're very keen. Um, some of the things that Gavin touched on in his presentation, the technology that's there now, that we are very willing to work on the most cost-effective way to um, sustain the long-term use of smart onboard mass and for industry and all the operators to have the benefits of that technology. Look, thank you very much for that, Brett. I think that is really important to recognise the approach you've taken isn't a blanket approach. It's only on a it's only on an as needs basis, and um, mm. certainly I know uh, Gavin and, and our teams are working together to make sure that operators can use the systems that they've got as much as possible. Um, I've got a couple of questions that I'm probably going to direct towards you, Gavin. Um, there's a question around enrolment. Um, if uh, uh, with the IAP, there was a fairly lengthy process for enrolment with forms and people countersigning things and all sorts of things. With TMA and RIM and anything that's associated with Smart Onboard Mass, can you just perhaps walk us through in a really simple form how enrolling or unenrolling works? So if I'm, you know, if I want to start operating under my new permit and it requires TMA and Smart OBM or, or I need to go into over, over the border into Queensland or something and I need to do the same, how that might work? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, we've taken the friction out of um, enrolments and we've, we've responded to industry feedback um, around some of the, uh, the challenges that associated or associated with um, IAP enrolments. So what we now do with TMA and RIM and Smart OBM is we put the obligation on the application service provider to manage enrolments on behalf of the transport operator. It means the transport operator doesn't need to go to the NHVR or anywhere else within government to initiate the enrolment. 
they just simply need to um, contact their chosen application service provider and the application service provider does the rest. It's worth pointing out that if you are travelling interstate, um, that you might need a scheme for New South Wales and a scheme for Queensland or Victoria, for example, then you just need to let your, your certified, or so your application service provider know that that's your intention. Just make sure that you're enrolled in every jurisdiction for which uh, a vehicle is operating. And just to round that out, if I'm in IAP at the moment, I need to, and I'm moving to TMA, and I no longer need to be enrolled in IAP, um, the unenrolment process for IAP still involves me notifying the regulator or notifying the jurisdiction, yes. doesn't it? I can't do that via the, the, the service provider. So, yeah, closing that loop out, you've got to close it out the same way you entered the sure. IAP loop with um, notifying the authority. Worth pointing out during these transitions, yeah, don't forget to de-enrol if you're moving from IAP to TMA. That's great. Um, don't forget to cancel the IAP enrolment. We've seen a few cases where that's, uh, that hasn't happened. Um, yeah. The sky doesn't fall in, but in terms of housekeeping and making sure everything's in order, um, it's an important one to close out. Not only that, but also uh, there's no point in paying for something you don't need. Um, work with your service yeah. provider, make sure you've only, uh, only got the applications loaded on your devices and in your systems that you need. Um, there's a question about cross-border uh, use of applications here, so I might take this one myself. Sorry, in the same way. Sorry, we just Sorry. We lost you. All right. Yeah, you'd think I'd have a better connection here in the office. Um, so the question relates to whether IAP, TMA, and REM are all applications together, and in many ways they are very similar. They're just parallel tools in the toolkit that a road manager or an authority can use when they're considering access. Um, these different tools are being used in very similar ways across borders. Um, at the moment, there is generally a, not a shift away from the IAP, but an adoption of alternative options and different tools, lower uh, lower cost and uh, lower risk um, uh, approaches. So uh, TMA and REM is being adopted very heavily in New South Wales. It is being adopted uh, quite significantly in Queensland and um, uh, Victoria as well. New South Wales is the state that's probably going hardest on RIM as an application and making what I would consider to be kind of lower risk monitoring options available for uh, in, in return for access at the lower risk end of the spectrum. So hopefully that answers that question. Okay, um, so um, just in terms of moving forward with this, um, uh, transitioning to smart OVM. Um, if you've got interim OBM and you need to have smart OBM, um, can you perhaps, uh, you know, what are the implications? If someone, I suppose there is a deadline, someone doesn't isn't able to meet that deadline for whatever reason, or what do they need to do to meet the deadline? Um, perhaps, uh, I mean, I can talk a little bit about how we've seen that in other states, but I'm not sure, Brett, if you had any uh, sort of views around how you might like to frame that. Uh, I think Ruben covered it in, the, in our last slide. I might leave that one to Ruben, actually. Spoke quite well to it. Sorry, can you uh, mention that again, uh, John? Yeah, sorry, Ruben. So, I mean, the, the question is, what are the implications of not transitioning to Smart OBM by the deadline? And I suppose one of the things we've seen in other states is um, 
uh, where there, you know maybe exemptions or extensions granted and things, but operators you know, are being expected to make best efforts attempts to make sure that they are able to meet that deadline. Um, it is an obligation, as I understand it, to be fitted and to be participating in schemes in good faith. And certainly uh, the regulator will probably be taking an interest in people who aren't complying. But is there, have we missed anything out there? No, that's that's correct, 100%. What what you mentioned there, and and the reason for this long, long um, transition period is to allow people to take the time, make inquiries, and uh, slowly transition across. Um, I think we might have had the longest transition period of all the states. Um, so that's definitely a learning from from what others have gone through. So um, definitely, we expect um, we we won't want to give industry the time to. Um, comply and um, cooperate with us as well. Um, there may be instances where it's not possible, but um, in those cases, we, we will work individually, but we would expect that this time frame is, is, um, is of sufficient uh, nature to allow for people to transition across successfully. Okay, thank you very much for that. Okay, so we've got a couple more detailed questions. There's a bit of a follow-up to the SPV one, which I might just briefly close out with you, Brett. The question is, is it possible that people who have SPV crane fleets could move across to TMA? Um, my understanding of the, the current situation is that that policy decision hasn't been locked down yet. And so that transition isn't really on the table just yet. Um, is, that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that, that's correct. And as, as the previous question about TMA or oh, smart on board mass being used across other other vehicle types, other restricted access vehicle types. Um, as Again, as I said, as, as the matures, as lessons learned, as we understand the benefits of it a little bit more, we will, we will certainly look at other other restricted access vehicle access using um, smart on board mass. Okay, so don't, don't go and unenroll your vehicles just yet. No. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so getting into a couple of more detailed ones. Um, so, uh, I'm going to have to read this out verbatim because I'm, I'm not an engineer. Could you kindly provide an update on the timeline for the release of the updated network maps for the tri-axle A-doubles in New South Wales? It's with our bridge teams now. Um, they're reviewing, so thank you very much for Victoria providing those, those uh, reference vehicles for us. I think there's five of them. So our, our bridge engineers are going through them now, and as I mentioned before, we also have a very uh, strong relationship with our third parties, both Sydney Trains and uh, UGRL on the CRN, so those uh, areas will also have to be assessed. So that is in progress now. So hopefully um, a timeline looks very difficult because there is a lot on at the moment in the bridge space, uh, but we're trying to work on that as, as soon as we can. Okay. That, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, the next question relates to. I'm going to have to leave, I might leave it with Reuben because I'm in a room that's. I thought we'd okay. finish it. Sorry. You're not <laughs> <laughs> See, you, see you, bye. There's a couple of more detailed questions. We might see if you can answer them, Reuben, but we can take them on notice if that's more complicated. Yeah. Um, so the next one relates to A doubles. Um, Will the further adoption of smart onboard mass allow for the development of reference vehicle networks for 30 metre A doubles with tri dollies operating at 85 and a half tonnes or 91 tonnes in New South Wales? Yes, so so that's definitely something we will we will work towards, and, and we definitely want to um, expand the 
um, expand reference vehicle usage and develop um, um, networks for those vehicles. We have done the same here in New South Wales as what Vic Roads, uh, sorry, what Victoria have done with the three A-doubles. We have this exactly the same three reference vehicles under network here. Um, we were able to open up a significant part of the network without onboard mass, but behind the scenes, we have also assessed the network with the use of onboard mass. So, so definitely we would expand that um, expand um, that out, not just to A-doubles with triaxles, but also to other vehicles once there is a certain level of maturity um, achieved with vehicle designs through the NHVR. And we would um, we would definitely use onboard mass as a way of expanding access across our infrastructure, as well as um, working with local government and third party infrastructure managers to expand access across their network as well. That's fantastic. I think this goes back to uh, Britt's original point that this is kind of the tip of the iceberg at this point. Lots of work to do here. Lots of productivity on the table. There's yeah, one last so question. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. If I can just mention to everyone out there, if, if you're looking to, you know, um, probably those um, who are looking to design vehicles or um, seek access to our network, I'd, I'd encourage you to start early. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, there is a lot of toing and froing involved in um, getting the optimal uh, benefit for your vehicle. And at the same time, we need time as well to assess and you know get that optimal balance between infrastructure and, and productivity. So take that into account and um, submit your applications. Um, we'll definitely work with you. We're supportive to expand access um, safely and, um, and, and increase productivity and efficiency. So um, definitely take that into account and uh, work with us. We'll definitely work with you and we'll, um, we'll um, um, do things together and um, achieve better outcomes for New South Wales and Australia. Thanks, mate. That's great. Look, there's only one last question, and it's 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 into a bit of detail. So my, I might suggest we take that one on notice. Uh, Ekaterina's giving us the wind-up call given the time, so um, I might hand back to you, Ekaterina, and we'll close out. Well, thanks so much, John. Um, I only have a couple of uh, slides to finish up. Um, as you can see on the screen, we have many sessions scheduled for the next few months. Uh, if you're interested in any of them in particular, please uh, visit our website and um, register. Um, and as we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Um, take a couple of minutes uh, and send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the sessions and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Once again, today's session has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording um, when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. See you all. Thanks for